Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. I've got a uh, wonderful uh, hour planned for you. I'm going to start it with Pastor Rusty George, all the way from Southern California. He's the uh, lead pastor at Real Life Church, and I'm all, always glad to talk to, to Rusty. He's written a book called After Amen, What to Do When You're Waiting on God. And his big old heart says, uh, what I want to do is um, get this book in your hands and take all the proceeds right now and give it to this relief fund in Haiti. I hope I'm getting that right. Um, all the profits go to Convoy of Hope for Haiti Earthquake Relief Support uh, through the month of September. And it's a wonderful book. And if you've been thinking, do I want this book after Amen? My suggestion would be, yes, you do. And now's the time to buy it. And he's also made a nice little special. Uh, there's a, a type in the word bill in the code, and you're going to get $2 off. And all the profits will go to Convoy of Hope for Haiti Earthquake Relief Support. Rusty, welcome to the show. Well, thank you, Bill. It's an honor to be back with you. I appreciate I'm, the opportunity. Are you kidding me? I love having you on. <laughs> well, it must be a slow news day up there in Minnesota. <laughs> are you kidding? Football starts tonight. It's not a slow news day. Oh, yeah. Do the Vikings have a team this year? I don't want to go there, Rusty. I'm, I was in a good <laughs> mood up until now, so let's just keep it that way, okay? <laughs> Listen, I'm pulling for you. I think Kirk Cousins is fantastic, and he doesn't doesn't get near enough credit. So yeah, I hope I they agree. win. I agree. So let's talk about all the troubles going on in the world. I mean, even oh, if we look at yeah. troubles in the last month, we've got uh, Afghanistan, Haiti, Louisiana. Um, whoa. Let's discuss. Yeah. yeah, there's a lot going on, isn't there? I think that... Uh, Anytime you have one of those type of events, whether it's a, uh, a a military situation or whether it's a hurricane or an earthquake, uh, one of them's bad enough, but you get three all in the course of about 30 days, and it's a lot for us to try to process, isn't it? Yeah, and as Christians, we I know plenty of people will start to think, huh, are we in the end times? And, and, where, yeah. and where is God in all this? Yeah, the end times question more over the last year and a half than I have in my previous 25 years of ministry. And I think it's just because of all of the cataclysmic things that are happening, not just the last month, but you can go back into, uh, you know, the election process. You can get back into the, the pandemic and, right. and the racial unrest and so many things that many people are dealing with. Um, in fact, I just had a guy on, on my podcast uh, called Leading Simple uh, my recent episode, I interviewed a guy who wrote a book uh, called And Then the End Will Come, and it's all about knowing the season of when Jesus will return. Because, you know, Jesus says that we won't know the day or the hour, and even he doesn't know, but we will know the season. And he makes a pretty compelling case that we could be within a couple years of seeing the return of Jesus. So I know we're supposed to always be ready. But uh, it sounds like, based upon his information and the recent events, we should really be ready. People outside of the faith, Rusty, will look at what's going on and challenge Christians with, 
this age-old question, you know, where is God in all this? How are we supposed to understand a loving God that allows this to happen? What would be your response to that? Yeah, I think that is the common question everybody has. And what's interesting is they don't ask that when things are going good and say, wow, how come God would be so kind to us? Um, It's usually just how come he's been so bad? When really you read through Scripture that God is a God that gives us free will. And the same mind that could go out and cure cancer could also go out and build a bomb. Um, And then just as much as people are broken, so is the world. And we're all yearning for Eden to return again. We're all yearning for the return of Jesus, for the new heavens and the new earth. So where is God during this time? God is offering to partner with us through the difficulties of life. It's just a matter of are we going to be a part of it. Um, And what I love about you know, our faith, Bill, is that we do not serve a God who is aloof and does not understand. He's a God that has put on skin and walked amongst us and suffered the worst of human atrocities, only to be victorious over it. So, you know, that's a lot of the uh, the imagery that is in this book that you and I have talked about now a few times called After Amen, and that is there is work to be done after we pray. It isn't just, God, will you fix this, and then we hang up the phone. God wants to work with us to fix the way the world is. Such a good point, Rusty. I I want to think about that some more because it's uh, it's so intriguing when we wonder where God is, and sometimes when I think of the 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 macro issues like the the earthquakes and the floods and everything else in Afghanistan, I sometimes have to start with the the micro things. Can I start thanking God for my day that I had food to eat and a bed to sleep in and eyes that when I opened them, I could see and legs that were able to have me walk to a bathroom and use a bathroom. I mean, there's so many things on a micro level that if you start thanking God for small things, you you could just spend an hour or two or three just being lost in gratitude. Yeah, you really could. Um, I, I think that if we would just start by looking at our own chest moving up and down, taking in air, <laughs> right. uh, that's that's a pretty good place to begin. And we, we just get so used to, especially where you and I live in the United States, just a lot of the blessings we have uh, that we just take for granted. And you go on a mission trip, you go and you support, you know, a great organization like Convoy of Hope and see how they're helping meet people's needs in worse situations than we're in, you begin to realize uh, how much we have to be thankful for. Rusty, what is your connection to Convoy of Hope? You know, Convoy of Hope I met through uh, a few pastors years ago, and they just said, listen, this is an organization that has boots on the ground wherever there's calamity. And we've been supporting them for a while now, and it's just, it's just nice to know of a great organization you can go to uh, when something like Haiti happens or Afghanistan or Louisiana. I think we first started working with them during Katrina And then recently, even during uh, COVID, uh, we uh, partnered with them to bring in a a semi full of of food for our local food bank. Uh, And we did that at several of our locations where our campuses are out here in Southern California. So when these events happened over the last month, uh, just reached out to Convoy of Hope and found they were doing great things in those locations and thought, boy, if we could have a chance to partner with them, 
this is the way that we answer the prayers of those people in those areas is we step up and partner with God and a great organization to use our resources to help people out. Mm -hmm. That's beautiful. Uh, Rusty, in your book, After Amen, What to Do When You're Waiting on God, I know there's plenty of times, including myself, where I say, in Jesus' name, amen. And then I have a big pit in my stomach. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of like you you send the text and you're waiting for a reply (laughs) and you don't know if it's going to come, right? Yeah. And I start Um, to think, is God going to figure this out the way I want him to? Yeah. And and how soon before I hear? Right. That's so true. Uh, I love the story of Jesus. We're almost out of wine. And he doesn't even answer Mary, uh, other than to say, that's not our problem, which we think sounds rude, but it's really him just saying, we, that wasn't on our list to bring, because they all brought stuff as a potluck kind of thing for uh, the weddings. So Mary just Mary doesn't beg, Mary doesn't plead. She just turns and looks at the, at the uh, servants and says, do whatever he tells you. And Jesus ends up turning to them and saying, okay, go fill those jars with water. Well, what's fascinating about that is these are huge stone water jars that would have required being drugged down to the river, filled up. Now they're going to weigh about 300 pounds, and you bring them back, dressed for a wedding in the heat, you know? Mm -hmm. And they do this six times before it turns into wine. And I got to think that there's a principle in there of we keep working even while we're waiting. And I think that there's, there's times that we pray and we hear nothing, and we just have to keep doing the next right thing because we may only be in our third trip to the river. And we are not, we, we don't know why God takes the time that he does. We just know that his timing is always perfect. And so we keep partnering with him, and we keep working while we wait, and then God does the heavy lifting at the end. Because, Rusty, I would think most of us would say, well, how about this, Jesus? How about I get a quarter of one of these water jugs filled, and then you turn it into wine, and that will give me the confidence to go get the other five and three quarters filled up. I know. Wouldn't that be great? Knowing us, we'd probably quit there and say, that's plenty. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it is interesting that the miracle doesn't happen until the jars are filled. I think there is something to be said about our persistence there, and we stay with it. Yeah. Rusty George is my guest. He's the lead pastor at Real Life Church in Southern California. And he's written a book and also partnered with Convoy of Hope. In other words, if you buy his book in September, you can also put in the code word uh, when you check out on Amazon. Is it on Amazon or where do you buy this, where you type in the code yeah. word? Well, if you want to pay more money, go to Amazon. Okay. What if I wanted to but pay less to... money, Rusty? You knucklehead? <laughs> Come on. <laughs> yeah. You can go to PastorRustyGeorge.com. Okay. Now okay. we're talking. Pastor... Yeah, PastorRustyGeorge.com. You're going to get it for 12 bucks instead of 15 Nice. And if you type in the code word Bill, because of my favorite radio host, then you're going to be able to not only get it for 12 bucks, but all the proceeds from that book are going to go to Convoy of Hope. So that means even if you cannot make it out to help the relief efforts in Haiti or certainly not Afghanistan right now or in Louisiana— you know you're being a part of the help by your support through this. So you get the book, and your proceeds go to help out a great cause. I mean, it's just a win-win. And now I feel bad I called you a knucklehead. <laughs> I've been called worse today, so don't <laughs> I worry about it. I figured. We'll take a little break. We'll be right back with Rusty George in a minute. 
back with Pastor Rusty George. You can go to PastorRustyGeorge.com. PastorRustyGeorge.com. And if you are so moved to uh, pick up a copy of his book, After Amen, What to Do When You're Waiting on God, and you can type in the code word Bill, and you're going to get a couple bucks off, and all proceeds will go to Convoy of Hope, which is relief for Haiti. That's all through the month of September. He's generous enough to do that. The book is great. I got the book a while ago. Uh, I've read it. It's great. Um, So let's uh, talk a little bit more about the book, Rusty, because I do enjoy talking about this. Um, When you do the next right thing, say more about that. Yeah, well, i got to be honest. I stole that concept, and I give credit to them from the movie, the great theological movie, Frozen 2. Okay. Uh, where uh, Olaf gives the advice of you do the next right thing. And I love that concept because there are many times that we do pray, we sense nothing, we hear nothing, what do we do next? Well, we keep doing the last thing that God told us to do. We keep doing the next right thing. You know, there are many times that people came to Jesus for healing, and he told them to do various things. Uh, One in particular was some lepers that came to him, and needed healing, and he said, go show yourself to the priest, which you wouldn't do unless you were healed. But their healing did not happen then. It happened along the way, Mm -hmm. and they had to keep moving in the direction of showing themselves to the priest. I think you see this in the life of Paul. There are many times uh, he wants to go to a particular area. He can't quite get in, so he doesn't just stop his missionary travels. He keeps going wherever he can until he's able to get to Rome. Uh, there's just these these little pivotal moments where you see that even after you say amen and you're waiting for God to come through with the next big thing, you do the right thing in front of you. I think the most practical way that is for all of us is in our job situations. I know there are people that, you know, they, they desperately want a different job or a different career, and they're they're putting out, you know, feelers everywhere. They're sending in resumes. But for the meantime— they need to just do their work where they are as if they're working for the Lord. Uh, Bill, I had a, a great real-life example of this a few weeks ago. I had a, a guy in our church who was moving, and uh, he was telling me about this new job that he got and how excited he was about it. And he said, but i got to tell you, i got to tell you my process to get to the job. And I said, well, what's that? And he said, three years ago I wanted out. I couldn't stand my boss. He was rude. He was, uh, you know, um, harassing people. Uh, He he wasn't a guy I wanted to work for. So I got so bitter at him that I just started pursuing jobs elsewhere. And I would get down to being the second candidate, uh, you know, kind of the one of the last two. And I always got told no. And so I was just frustrated with God one day. And I just said, why am I not getting a different job? And he said, Rusty, I didn't hear an audible voice, but it became really clear to me what God was saying. He was saying, forgive. So I went to my boss. I set up a meeting with him, and I said, I just want you to know, I know we've not always gotten along. I know we've not always seen eye to eye. And I've been deeply bitter towards you. We lost Rusty. That's bitter. There you're back. I'm sorry. We lost you there. Repeat the last 10 seconds. Yeah, yeah. So he goes to his boss and he says, I feel like I just need to forgive you. And his boss was a little shocked that he needed to be forgiven, but he accepted it. Well, two days later, this guy got a call from a headhunter. He had a job somebody was pursuing him for, and he got the job of a lifetime. Oh, wow. So the prayer didn't really happen right away, 
but there was some work that needed to be done before the prayer was answered, and that was for him to forgive. Oh, so interesting, Rusty. That's such a great story. No, I'm also wondering, too, as we're waiting on the Lord, does our instant gratification mindset that we have in this world today hurt our spiritual walk? Well, I tell you, I think it really does. And I, I never really noticed this until I went to Africa, and I spent time with kids over there that are orphaned. And here they are, they've lost their parents to the violence of the wars that have gone on over there, and yet none of them are saying things like, where is God? Why didn't he help? Why is there so much evil and suffering? They have learned how to find God in the midst of all of their pain because they're not in near the hurry that we are. Um, I think that our problem is it's not that God isn't speaking, it's just that we can't hear of our lives. And God doesn't seem to ever shout over anything. He seems to wait for us to tune everything else out. So when it comes to the busyness of us wanting everything done in five seconds or less and Amazon drone deliveries the next day and eventually we'll all have holograms and we can just have meetings in each other's houses, um, we're not really good at the whole long-term, uh, uh, long attention span. We, uh, we like things immediate. Yeah. Rusty George is my guest. His book is After Amen, What to Do When You're Waiting on God. Um, Rusty, what if God wants to work in our lives in non-obvious ways? And we're sitting there, mm. sitting there around, sitting waiting for the uh, Amazon drone to show up. <laughs> yeah, that's a great question. I think God's always working. It's a matter of, are we going to notice him? You know, I go back to something you and I talked about just a little bit ago about saying thank you. I've learned that if you just start practicing the presence of saying thank you all the time, um, you tend to notice what God is doing a lot quicker. Hmm. Uh, Oftentimes we've had this challenge in our our small group, and I'll just challenge everybody, hey, what if this next month we don't ask God for anything, we just thank him for everything? It's kind of hard to do. Um, But what happens is is you you, you begin to notice a lot more stuff than you did before, and then you begin to see God's grace and mercies all throughout the day where he is working, we were just kind of too busy and too self-consumed to notice. Such a great point. So let's talk a little bit more about this spectacular offer you have. If people just joined uh, the show, Rusty George is my guest. He's written a great book called After Amen, What to Do When You're Waiting on God. And he's partnered with Convoy of Hope, which is a relief uh, agency serving Haiti right now and all the trouble they're having there. And if you uh, go to PastorRustyGeorge.com, you can get the book there. And if you use the code word Bill, all the profits will go to Relief for Haiti through September. Um, And the book uh, is a great book, Rusty. You really crushed it with this one. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. And, you know, just for your listeners to know, this, this really came out of a lot of conversations I was having in the lobby with people that they're just wondering, hey, I prayed and nothing happened. Did I do it wrong? Oh. Have I made a mistake? You know, did I not have enough passion or, or perfection in my life? And so I just got to thinking, what do we do after we say amen? Is there, you know, something we're supposed to do? Um, a lot of our people in our church grew up Catholic, and so they feel like, well, I got to say some Hail Marys or some rosary beads mm-hmm. or those kind of things. What is it God's asked us to do? So I just went to the Gospels and looked at what Jesus asked people to do, and it was interesting. There was a whole lot more of of things for us to do than I thought there would be, and we kind of grouped them together into seven things, and 
So the book gives you a little bit of a setup, gives you these seven things, and then there's some small group questions in there if you want to do this in a Bible study fashion. And it's just really a walk through the Gospels to see how Jesus handles prayer. So I would love for people to read it and get it. And there's all kinds of resources for you on the website. But more importantly, if you buy it through the website and use the code BILL, then all your proceeds are going to go to Convoy of Hope so you know you're helping out a great organization. Rusty, talk about importunity relative to prayer. I'm using a big word today, which is so not like me. Importunity? Yes. Okay, can you define that a little bit more? It's an urgent or pressing request. I'm 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 going to be asking over and over and over. Yeah. That's that's using importunity. Um, we're almost like the 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 guy that's knocking on his neighbor's door at midnight, saying, "I've got my friend coming over. I need some food." And the guy's saying, yeah. "Well, I got my whole family in bed right now. I, if I get up, I'll disturb everybody." But he keeps knocking. He keeps knocking. Yeah. Yeah, I love that because it, it, there's it, it's interesting you bring that up because I've wrestled with that myself because there are stories like that Jesus tells where he says, be like the persistent neighbor. Then there's stories where he says, don't keep babbling on like the Pharisees do. Mm-hmm. So, so where is it? I think it has a lot to do with motive. The guy knocking on the door is begging for someone to help his friend, not himself. And yet the Pharisee babbling on is doing so so everybody else will think highly of them. Mm, good point. I think there really is something to us being persistent with Jesus in our prayers. Um, I don't know if you need to beg 24-7, and I think there are seasons that we get into that. There's moments if you have a child that's sick, if you have a crisis in your life, I think those things are just natural. Mm-hmm. But I think the thing that God honors over and over again is authenticity. And when you are crying out on somebody else's behalf, when you're even crying out for help in your own situation, and it's not in an attempt to make yourself look better than you are, I think God loves that heart and that authenticity. Because at the end of the day, he's a father to us. Yeah. And when our, when our kids come to us with an urgent need, we're a lot more attentive than a passing, fleeting, oh, I'd like to have that, and yeah. it's never brought up again. Rusty, let's talk again soon. I promise next time, no big words. <laughs> if I could have a list of these ahead of time. <laughs> I, I will. Help, I'll send you. Thanks a lot, Rusty. Great to be with you. Thank you, my friend. Yep. Pastor Rusty George has been my guest. Go to past, pastorrustygeorge.com. And if you are so moved to pick up his book, um, it's called After Amen, What to Do When You're Waiting on God. You can type in the code word bill, get a couple bucks off, and all proceeds go to Convoy of, of Hope to help people in Haiti. We'll take a short break. When we come back. Noah Filipiak will be joining me. His book is called Beyond the Battle. We'll be right back. It's the afternoon show with Bill Arno. Primetime drive time. Let's get it started. Jump in your car. What's for dinner? It's the afternoon show with Bill Arno. Our identity in Christ is so important. I'm glad to be welcoming to the show Noah Filipiak. He's the founding pastor of Mosaic Church in urban Grand Rapids, Michigan. He's the author of Beyond the Battle, a man's guide to his identity in Christ in an over-sexualized world. He's also the host of the Flipside podcast, and he blogs at noahfilipiak.com. He's also on the Covenant Eyes blogging team. 
and he's a graduate of Cornerstone University and Grand Rapids Theological Seminary. I've been there myself. I've visited. It's a great place. He is uh, joining me today. Noah, welcome. Thanks so much, Bill. I appreciate it. Are you kidding me? I'm glad to have you on. This is a very important topic that you have uh, tackled. It is. It is. It's one that we need to be talking about more in the Church. And just the fact that we are um, identifying as uh, followers, devoted followers of Christ, we need to make sure that we live that out fully. And there are some things going after our identity in an over-sexualized world. Yeah, that is very true. A lot of times people don't always put together, you know, the topics of uh, sexual sin, whether that's pornography or other temptations um, that would be, you know, anywhere across the the gamut. A lot of times we look at those things as just behavior issues, and we we kind of teach them as behavior issues. We say, uh, don't do that, it's bad, you know, stop. And, And we don't realize that there's a deeper layer where we're looking for our identity. You know, we're looking for when I say, and when I say identity in that, in that sense, I mean our value. We're looking for this encounter, this, uh, this sexual encounter, this man or this woman will give me value or a feeling of value. And that value is something that we, we already have in Jesus. If we can learn how to delve into it. Yeah. Can you give, um, my listeners, a little bit of a backstory on, on you and why you wrote the book. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So uh, I'll try to try to keep it uh, brief as I can. Uh, but, you know, for me, um, I'm in my late 30s now, and, and I kind of give that time timeline a little bit of, of when the Internet came out, when the Internet became very popular in, in people's homes and became sort of a common household appliance, if you will. I was in middle school. I was in seventh grade or so and hitting puberty at the same time. Uh, we got the internet like everybody else. I love Jesus. Uh, my we all, my family is all Christian family that love Jesus. My parents had no reason to think I'd be looking at uh, pornography on the internet. And uh, one thing led to another, and I was I was looking at pornography on the internet, but nobody was really talking about it. You know, back then uh, this was such a new thing, and even today, like I said, we don't talk about it enough. But back then, we really weren't talking about it. Uh, I went to church. I went to youth group. I went to summer camp. I went to everything I could go to as a teenager, and I genuinely loved Jesus. It wasn't a double life uh, in the sense that I was I was openly rebelling. I, I didn't I didn't want to look at pornography. I was addicted to it, and I just didn't have anyone uh, to talk about uh, with it. And so fast forward that to my days as a pastor. I started out early as a pastor. Uh, my early twenties, I planted a different church uh, over in Lansing, Michigan, and and I would talk quite often about my testimony of, you know, overcoming pornography. And uh, it was the first time many people had heard, you know, a pastor talk about that. And so it just became a ministry for me of, of helping uh, men. And, and over time, the statistics are showing more and more women are looking at pornography as well. And it just uh, became something I would blog more about and preach more about. And it became just a big part of my testimony Obviously, a lot of other issues there as well um, that the book covers, not just pornography, but a lot of entitlement and selfishness that was in my marriage. Uh, I got married real young. I was 21, so I've been married 17 years. And uh, three years into my marriage, I wanted a divorce. I was a pastor, uh, senior pastor at 24 because I planted the church, and I wanted out. I wanted the divorce. I wanted to live a promiscuous life. I I essentially was going to cash in my faith for a while. And uh, all this led to my sort of crisis of identity. And 
um, as, as people would ask me for books about um, struggling with pornography, it's, it's not to say there's no other good books out there. I think the books coming out now um, are significantly better than the books that were coming out uh, 20 years ago well, when I was in college. Um, the books I had in my early ministry days, they just covered the symptoms of pornography. They covered the behavior. And uh, I had experienced getting to a point um, where I no longer desired pornography. It wasn't just a matter of don't look at it, it's bad. Uh, it, was a, it was actually, I don't want that. I don't desire that anymore because I've learned uh, to see women the way God intended me to see women. I've learned to see them as people. I've learned to see them as daughters, as, as a soul, uh, not as an object. And I wanted to write a book about that. I wanted to write a book that could help other men uh, learn how to lose their desire for not just pornography, but also lust, uh, the way our eyes work as well, and to learn to see women uh, the way God intended, uh, not just as something not to look at because it's bad. So, so that's the real fast version. Yeah. Um, obviously, the, the book kind of walks out a lot more, but why I sat down and, and, and wrote the book. And you were nice enough to uh, send me five copies of the book that I can give out today on the show. So if Beautiful. Beyond the Battle, A Man's uh, Guide to, the, to His Identity in Christ in an Over-Sexualized World, sounds like something not only you would uh, benefit from, maybe you've got uh, a son or even a daughter that's got this issue. It's certainly not relegated just to, to boys and men, is it, No. No, that's very true, I, and, and that's something with the onset of the Internet. Uh, it's ho- hopefully, hopefully now, you know, people are aware of, of what's out there on the Internet with smartphones and not just Internet itself, but social media avenues like TikTok and Snapchat and uh, Instagram and all these, these access ways of just, uh, again, the over-sexualized world. It's not just pornography. It's an, it's, it's an idea of sex, that sex is just um, – body parts that are meant to be consumed mm-hmm. and uh what's what's actually quite i don't know the right word cool is not the right word but uh what's fascinating is first corinthians 6 when paul talks about sex and first corinthians 6 uh, 16 through 20 he's he quotes or i should say verses 12 through 20 he starts by quoting uh the corinthians and he quotes them and, and they say uh, the stomach is for food, and food is for the stomach and basically they were saying the body is for sex and um sex is for the body. So if you're hungry, eat food. If you're hungry for sex, you know, go have sex. That was the mindset in the first century Corinth. And that's the mindset that that we're back to uh, today. And that is affecting men and women. And and, and I I lead groups uh, through my book. So Mm -hmm. if any listeners are interested in going through the book with me and and a group of men, um, they can do that via uh, beyondthebattle.net. But I, I mentioned that because we have men in their 70s that go through the book mm-hmm. uh, with me, and, and we have uh, men who are 18 years old that go through yeah. the book. You know, and this, this really doesn't discriminate age, but we, we do need to know that our kids uh, and teenagers and college students are really, really being inundated with this culture of growing up um, online all the time uh, with really a no-holds-barred uh, when it comes to sexual um, stimulus. Yeah. Noah Philippiak's book is called Beyond the Battle, five copies to give away. So if you want to get in on the drawing, all you do is text the word book to 877-933-2484, 877-933-2484. 
and just text the word book, nothing else, no quotation marks, uh, no emojis, nothing, just book. <laughs> All right. So when the church does talk about uh, pornography, what is missing or wrong when it does talk about it? Yeah, you know, the the sermons that I would hear about pornography, they were always telling me things I already knew. And, and I should say, and, and they were few and far between. I didn't hear, I literally did not hear a sermon on pornography throughout my seven-year addiction, uh, middle school, high school, and on into college. But when I do hear it mentioned nowadays in sermons even, it's mentioned in a, a behavior-based way. So kind of uh, said this earlier, but it's it's worth repeating. So it's it's this mindset that you can just stop with your willpower. It's just don't do it. It's bad. Stop. Most Christians know that it's bad. Most Christians would like to stop if they could. It's not simply a matter of willpower. And and so I don't think it's even fair in a sermon for a pastor to bring it up in that way, because it just heaps more shame uh, onto the man or woman who is struggling. Uh, and the same goes again um, for lust, for fantasy. These are all things, uh, if you don't struggle with pornography, um, Beyond the Battle is still a great book for you. It, it it addresses single guys, married guys, lust, fantasy, really any discontentment we have at all about being single yeah. or discontentment with, with our spouse. And that's that's all of us. We're all in that boat. We hit those seasons where we hit those those moments of big time discontentment. And so we, we have to stop a shame based message, which is don't do it. Stop. It's bad. Uh, and, and so then it gives a message of if you keep doing it, then you're really bad. You, you're not able to stop. So you're really messed up. And it's it's an addiction. In some ways, it's hardwired into us. And so we have to go to deeper layers, deeper levels. Uh, we, we have to, I, I, I talk about it as feeding from the Thanksgiving feast of Jesus, and it's available every day to mm-hmm. us. But we, we have to learn to feed off of Jesus to get from him the acceptance, the approval, the validation that we do get in the gospel. And we get that from Jesus relationally. And that's the relational intimacy that we're really craving. And so we, we have to take a grace-based approach as the solution, uh, not a not a shame-based or behavior management-based approach. Yeah. Noah Philippiak's book is called Beyond the Battle, A Man's Guide to His Identity in Christ in an Over-Sexualized World. Um, five copies to give away. Text the word book over to 877-933-2484. Noah, without naming any names... Why do you think there's been so many moral failures among uh, prominent Christian leaders? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and the only name I would name would be my myself. You know, not not that I've had one, but I as a as a pastor and as a um, you know now an author, I guess certainly not at the level of some of the the prominent names that we've heard. Um, but I, I I can see and experience. I've seen and experienced some of the isolation that comes from Christian leadership in our culture. And I think there's a couple things at play here. Uh, I think one of them is the way we structure church governance in a way, where the often the senior pastor or senior leader of an organization can kind of have a celebrity status. And sometimes, and that can even be in a small church, you know, a small church of 100, um, that, that senior pastor is still the the celebrity, the person who's who makes the whole thing go. And when that happens, 
uh, it's really hard to be vulnerable and transparent because if I were to share with somebody my struggles about fantasy or discontentment, you know, that when it comes to maybe my marriage or sex, you know, a temptation, then, then I'm no longer seen as sort of this Christian, you know, all-star. And so we, because we, I think because we are Christians and we say, you know what, I can handle this. I can do it. I love Jesus. I can make this happen. But the, the truth is ultimately um, every Christian leader, uh, celebrity or not, doesn't matter how spiritual you think somebody is or how spiritual you think you are, uh, every, every Christian leader is a human being. Um, I'm a human being. You know, Bill, you're a human being. Every listener here is a human being. And as human beings, uh, we need, I call it vulnerable community. We just, we must have vulnerable community in our lives. Uh, we must have um, men and women in our lives. Uh, you know, for me as a guy, the guys I talk to about my sexual struggles, temptations uh, are guys. And I had to be really intentional about building that community in my life. It doesn't happen automatically. And for most Christian leaders, it's not going to come from your local church. Uh, for most Christian leaders, you, you have to build it. And, but I think that's the missing piece. I think we, we have a sense of overconfidence in ourselves as Christian leaders. And, and the, the, the fact is, if, if we think we're above a sin, if we think I would never do that, I, I personally believe that's the first step towards doing that. I think mm -hmm. if you go down that path of thinking, I would never do that, I would never struggle in that way, I would never fall in that way, what that means is you don't have any defenses up whatsoever. And, and you are completely, uh, you know, kind of a sitting duck for the enemy to come and just bombard you with uh, temptation that is handcrafted, you know, for you. So, so the answer is vulnerable community. And um, I've had to build that. I've had to build that over the last few years. Uh, as, as um, particularly as I became more of, and I use quotes for, for this because I really, I don't feel like an expert, but people see you as a quote unquote expert in the area of sexual uh, sin, you know, advice on, on this stuff. And when that happens, that area is the area that I become not vulnerable in. Because as soon as I become vulnerable, I no longer look like an expert and the books aren't going to sell and the people aren't going to listen and all those sorts of things. And I really think that that's how and why uh, one of the reasons there's probably more we could talk about. Um, but that's, I think, one of the reasons that uh, we've seen so many moral failures as of late in our yeah. culture. Yeah. Noah Filippiak is my guest. His book is Beyond the Battle, A Man's Guide to His Identity in Christ in an Over-Sexualized World. Got five copies to give away. Thanks to Noah. All you have to do is text the word book to get in on the drawing. You know how that works, 877-933-2484. I repeat that, but I don't need to because you're so smart. You know exactly how to do this. <laughs> text the word book, 877-933-2484. Lots of texts are coming in. Uh, we'll take a short break and be back with Noah in just a minute.
My guest is Noah Filipiak. Great last name. He's written a book called Beyond the Battle, A Man's Guide to His Identity in Christ in an Over-Sexualized World. All right, Noah, we don't have tons of time left, so I'm going to ask you some rapid-fire questions. You say in the book that Jesus has already won the war, and we just have to learn to rest in him. I completely agree, Mm -hmm. but say more. Yeah, uh, and I'm not good with rapid fire answers. I'll warn you. <laughs> Don't worry so about I'm, it. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a preacher, man. So you okay. might have to cut me off. But no, I, I, uh, you know, he's won the war, and and there's just a lot of phrase about battle out there, you know, and and that's not a bad thing. It is a battle, and I get that. But we focus on the battle tactics. So one example I use is, you know, a friend of mine in college told me he was taught to snap his wrist with a rubber band anytime he lusted, you know, and things like that. And there's, there's other, there's a bounce your eyes kind of stuff that's out there. And um, it's, it's, it's battle tactics. And, and when we realize that um, what we're looking for is already done in Jesus, he's, he's completed the work on the cross when he said it is finished. Um, I love going to Colossians 1, 22. It talks about how we're holy. We're without blemish. We're free from accusation when the father looks at us because of Jesus. And I just, for, for me, everything I was looking for from sexual sin, everything I was looking for from other women or from pornography, um, I already had in Jesus. I just had to rest in him. I had to experience his love and just find a path. And that's what I try to guide others into with the book is just finding that path of experiencing what you're looking for. And when you do, uh, it's a game changer for the battle. It's it's not that you're never going to struggle again, but you do begin to lose your desire for those very things. And that is true freedom. Mm-hmm. Noah, when you, uh, you, you said you were raised in a Christian home, didn't you? Yes, I did. Yeah. So I would assume your parents taught you about sexual purity from the Bible, yeah. right? Yes, they did. So how did that work out in, in your life? How did it affect you and your marriage? Yeah, great question. And I would say, you know, my, my parents did a, a, a fine job. You know, we had the sex talk and those sorts of things and, you know, safe sex until marriage. And my youth group as well uh, is probably the place that was even probably more formative for me where in my youth group, which I loved. Oh, my goodness. My youth group was such a formative part of my upbringing and just so fruitful in my life. Um, my youth group, you know, it was safe sex until marriage. And, and I did. And, and my wife did the same. You know, we met in college. We met at uh, Christian College Cornerstone. And we both were virgins when we got married. And that is the right message. And I, I continue to teach and preach uh, that message. What, what, what went wrong, what went haywire, and this didn't come from my parents um, or my youth group, but it came from some of the sexual purity books that I read in college, was this, this idea that there was going to be this big payoff, this big payday. And we, we use this utopian sex life as bait, kind of a carrot at the end of the stick. So we, we tell our young people, you know, save sex until marriage. And if you do, there's going to be, God's going to hook you up. God's going to give you, you know, this, 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 um, and a lot of times that this, it's, it's a pretty selfish fantasy. It's a pretty, it's a pretty self-indulgent, I'm going to, I'm going to get all my sexual, you know, desires, fantasies, whatever are going to be, going to be reached, you know, in marriage. And, and within that too, um, I, what happened to me somewhat because of the sexual purity books that I read in college, um, I was looking to my wife basically to be my pornography. And that's a a real problem Mm. when, um, and and I, and I talk about that quite a bit in the book, how, how we do that, where I, um, 
I was objectifying my wife, and that that I think that truly is why we both wanted a divorce three years into our marriage. And so learning what love is, I don't think I really knew what love was when I got married. Um, and but God has taught me, I think through the hard road, what love is. And uh, man, it's it's beautiful and it's freeing. Uh, but it is not about getting your your desires met. It's not about those sort of selfish desires. And and I'd say the other piece of that is. Um, that entitlement I had with God, I did my end of the deal. I was a virgin. Now, God, you do your end. Mm. You do the part, you know, you promised. Well, God never promised me that. I read it, you know, maybe in a book somewhere, but that wasn't God. And um, and that, that when, I lo- when God broke me of my entitlement and he replaced it with gratitude. So he, he and, and I write about that pretty in detail because it was significant. He really broke me of my entitlement. I was praying, God, give me what I deserve. And God, via the gospel, as a pastor already, I'm a pastor at this point, and realizing what I deserve from God is his wrath. I deserve eternal separation from him in hell. That's what actually what I deserve. And, and I'm going to God saying, give me what I deserve, because you owe this to me in my, you know, in my marriage. And it was a very humbling moment for me where God began to show me that what he has given me is a gift uh, what he's given me in my in my life is a gift. Uh, if you're single, your singleness is a gift. If you're married, your spouse is a gift. And I began to see my wife as a gift uh, and stopped going to God with that entitled prayer. And I instead began thanking God for what he had given me that I didn't deserve. And oh man, did that change? <laughs> that changed. Oh, that that's where my that's where my freedom journey really began. Mm-hmm. Noah, you and your wife, Jen, went to your wedding night uh, with sexual purity. You were virgins, and you went to a Christian university. Looking over the landscape of all of your friends, classmates, people you you knew, how many would have done the same thing, would have been able to say, I'm in that same position as you and Jen? Um. I'm not, I'm not 100% sure. I mean, I, I think, honestly, the, most of the guys I was in accountability with at Cornerstone, you know, we were, uh, that was part of our accountability. It was guys that are, that are walking with Jesus, that are serious about obedience, serious about uh, following him, serious about, you know, trusting that his way is better. Mm-hmm. And when I, when I say that, it's, so, so and, I, and that's a good clarifier, too, I, I'm not, the, the wrong message is the entitlement, right? The wrong message is when you get married and you do it God's way, you're going to have all your these like selfish desires met. That's from a selfish place, and that's not what God promises us. But but I can say 100% that God's way is better. That <laughs> his His way His way is better, and and He is faithful. And it's it's um, I, I would say most of my my close friends uh, at Cornerstone and and Jen's the same would be people that, you know, we were in community together. When you're in community with people that have, you want to be in Christian community with people that have the same biblical values as you, because it it helps you live them out, right? If you're, if you're kind of, if you're doing the church thing on Sunday, but you're hanging out with a bunch of either, you know, um, lukewarm Christians or non-Christians during the week that are, you know, just living according to the, the values of the world, um, and indulging in all of their sexual desires, you know, then, then of course, uh, you know, uh, that, that, that community is going to bring you in that direction. And so I, I'm super thankful for the community I had. I'm super thankful that my wife and I can, can look at each other and, and know that we're the only people that we've ever been with. And as we go through our ups and downs in our marriage, uh, you know, we, um, 
we do that together and yeah. we do that. It's like a, a constant, you know, learning. And, and I say that to cast vision for listeners, you know, who are virgins, yeah. listeners who maybe are, are young. And, and I want to cast that vision and say, it's totally worth it. And, and for listeners who, who aren't, you know, virgins, I, I want you, I want you to know it's not, you know, God loves you. It's not the end of the world. There's grace. And, and I cast the same vision to you to say, um, make this, make this your, you know, vision going forward. Mm-hmm. I, I always like that for, it's not about backwards thinking. It's not about backwards on, Oh, look what you've done yeah. in, the, in your past. Yeah. Grace, uh, grace covers that. Yeah. And now we look forward Indeed. and it, looking forward where do we go? Oh man, that's okay. a good path. Duh. No, yeah. I know you're a preacher, but now I got to cut you off. Do it. Cut me <laughs> off. I yeah. you. It's been nice meeting you. Thank you so much for doing the show. You too, Bill. Yep. Thanks so much. Noah Filipiak has been my guest. Five copies of his book, Beyond the Battle. You can text the word book to 877-933-2484. That's our show. Thanks to the guys and to Rusty George and Noah Filipiak. Have a great night, everyone. See you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.